you're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. I'm your host. So happy to be here today. Our guest is going to be cinematographer Eric Spielberg, ASC. That's American Society of Cinematographers. You'll see that we've had a number of members. We are not associated with the ASC or... Uh, sponsored by them in any way. We've just been fortunate to have a number of great cinematographers and guests who are members and others, some other really great cinematographers. Alicia Robbins and Kira Kelly. Uh, I love it. I love talking to cinematographers because I started out wanting to be a director, uh, then moved into producing and somehow ended up in film journalism, which I just love it all. I'm a big pig watching movies, talking movies, A few films that uh, Eric has shot, let's see, Juno, you all know that one. Uh, Of course, he has a long-standing working relationship with uh, Jason Reitman, so he's done Tully, Young Adult uh, with Charlize Theron, both of those. Of course, Up in the Air with George Clooney. One that I haven't heard many people mention, but it's a great film, uh, Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Uh, We'll get into talking to him about that and see his thoughts on where sports are. Uh, let's see, 500 Days of Summer, a really cute indie film, which most people love that have seen it. And I don't know too many people that haven't. Uh, it's a really adorable film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel, yeah, uh, the daughter of the great cinematographer Caleb Deschanel. Uh, let's see, he also, uh, Eric also shot, uh, more recently, Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix which I thought was really cool, really hilarious. I don't know how many people uh, had seen Dolomite to not know whether it's, uh, you know, how much of a joke it was, uh, but it being about the real uh, Rudy Ray Moore. To tell you the truth, it's funny, I didn't catch (laughs) that it was a movie within a movie, even though it's so well made. I I guess I just wasn't paying attention. It was one of those where I threw it on because I wanted to just, you know, when you turn your brain off, I wanted to kick back and have some movie time with mom. And uh, I just, it's not saying anything about the filmmakers. Craig Brewer is such a great director. Hustle and Flow uh, with Terrence Howard. You guys got to see that one if you haven't already. Uh, so Dolomite is my name. Let's see. Uh, the Front Runner is another one that he did with Jason Reitman. It's really cool. I cannot wait to talk to him about this, uh, about Gary Hart. Welcome, Eric. Are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. No problem. Cool. Can we talk about anything, whether you want to just be, uh, you know, regular discussing. Um, I've been fortunate to PA on big films, produce the indie features, uh, flip jumped over the journalism side. So doesn't necessarily have to be technical, but if you answer a question technical, that's cool too. How'd you go from PAing to doing this? Like, what was that journey? Oh, I was, um, oh, it was really interesting. I, um, actually, I, I guess not interesting. I got in a really bad car wreck and then my doctors just said the hours would be too long on my body. So I had to go through this 18 months of physical therapy and then it just got to the point where it was too much on my body. Fortunately, the last thing I got to PA was when Alexander Payne came to Hawaii and shot the Descendants. So I thought, okay, this will be a cool note to retire the PA on. And then literally my mm-hmm. career was nowhere. And uh, uh-huh. the editor of the newspaper was like, hey, you know, film, do you want to start writing reviews? And 
spiraled from there for the going on 11 years soon. So it's just been a, thank you for asking that. It's just, oh, wow. uh, That's great. Uh, well, it's always yeah. interesting. I always love yeah. people's hearing about people's journeys um, and how people oh, love for film, you know, manifest itself in a particular, um, you know, job. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why we do this show. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And it was really, um, I, I'm not afraid to say the career was absolutely going nowhere. And I don't know if it would have even continued if I didn't decide to go this path. So it was a really just fluke of uh, luck of the nature, or fluke. Well, there's so many um, aspects to the film business, right? And, and I think people forget right. that it's not just the people that make them. I mean, we make them for fans, um, right? Because if there aren't people that are interested or want to write about them or watch them, then there's, there's no business. So everybody serves a purpose, you know? I, oh no, thank you. Yeah, no, that's really that. I guess that probably has been something that I really, when I got on this side, I was just like, wow, there's a lot of, I always say that I'm, I'm, I'm a filmmaker who reviews films, but I just don't like the word critic. And I don't think I've ever, I won't talk about a film if I'm bashing it or didn't like it, but, uh, <laughs> it has been really interesting. Like you're saying, there's, I mean, there's historians and critics and then, Sometimes just I meet fans that uh, respectfully they know more than some filmmakers I meet. Uh, so yeah. kind of like, well, you should make a film if you're that into it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah, told yeah, me exactly. more about certain directors. <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Since you said making it for the fans, you've you've been a part of so many um, films that were just such huge hits, and I know uh, when you know, guests have told me when they go into it, you're not, you know, you're obviously wanting to make a good movie, can think about the making the money back, all that, you're, you know, you're doing your job, but, you know, what is it like to, I guess, just the most, I don't mean cliche, you know what I mean, uh, for you, you know, having made something that's just such a fan favorite like Juno, what is that like for mm -hmm. you being like a fan of movies yourself? I mean, to kind of like turn around and be like, wow, I've, I've put something on the shelf that people just, love like how, how is that it's incredible i mean it's it's still somewhat unbelievable because um you know i when i think about me reading the script for juno for the first time or or making juno and you know shooting certain scenes on certain days and really seeing you know the humor uh and magic of the actors and jason's directing you know come to life in, in front of us and, you know, really liking it and being happy with what we're doing and excited about it. And, and then to then go on and then resonate with people to the same extent that we enjoyed it while we we're making it, but then even more, you know, and become like this, you know, pop culture thing for a period of time. It's really kind of like, wow, we did that. Uh, you know, like we were kind of just doing what felt right and what we set out to do. And, and then, you know, sometimes you, uh, in the case of Juno, you do something that happens to, you know, resonate with the zeitgeist of, you know, what's going on at the time. And, um, and it, it's, it's just really weird. I mean, you always, you, you never really, even if you, you're in love with the material and you put everything into it, 110%, it doesn't mean that the audience is going to respond the same way or even get the access to the movie that you think it's going to have, you know, so much of it's circumstantial. You know, I did a movie that came out, uh, almost two years ago now. And, um, 
nobody saw it because of the, or the way it was timed. It was just a mistimed release, you know, and it happened to do with politics and, and they thought it would be fun to release it on election day. And then nobody saw it, <laughs> you know? So was um, it the front runner? really excited about it. It was a front runner. Yeah. And, and it was something okay, we put okay. a lot of heart and passion into and, you know, like nobody saw it. And, um, and it doesn't, I don't think it makes it any less of a movie. It's just, you never know what's uh-huh. going to happen. I mean, it's such like, there's the art of it and there's the business. And I think, you know, people, you know, you can, you can see the movies have artistic merit and then they have kind of like a, an audience, you know, kind of critical and box office, you know, business merit. And, um, sometimes you don't get both. And, um, right. so yeah, I, I mean, something like Juno, I, I mean, I don't, you know, it's funny cause we're still talking about it all these years later, you know, it's been uh, about 13 years since it came out at this point. And, um, you know, people still talk about it and it's, it's really amazing to me because I, I don't, it's hard for me to identify with the person and filmmaker, um, cinematographer I was back then. Um, I mean, I've not only just an age, but in just kind of my artistic sensibilities <clears throat> and even my relationship with, with that director, how that's changed. And, um, and while I'm really proud of that film, I would never make, probably wouldn't even choose to do that film these days. And if I did somehow choose to do it, I wouldn't make the same decisions. I wouldn't do it the same way, you know? So it's just one of those things people talk about, you know, right place at right time or timing is everything. And, and that is a prime example of that in, um, in film form. That's so interesting what you're saying. You actually, I'm going to rob a couple of questions from what you said, but, um, and I won't take credit mm-hmm. for them. Uh, but, uh, the, um, I, I, you know, I just remember with Juno, it was so like, I, I just remember it so vividly because it was one of the last movies I saw with my grandmother before she passed and got sick. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. remember it was like, let's all go to the four o'clock movie. And it was like, Oh, I like I love Jason Bateman, but it's like, oh, I remember him from the '80s, and then I was a dummy and didn't watch The West Wing when it was on. So it's like I wasn't picking up on Alice and Jenny and uh, J.K. Simmons, of course. Now, like everybody's like, yeah, of course, J.K. Simmons. Um, but uh, and of course, we didn't know Ellen Page, Michael Sarah. If we if you were smart enough to watch the Arrested Development, I mean, not smart enough. Mm-hmm. If you you know were wise and didn't just push it aside. <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounded like such a presumptuous. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So uh, what I loved was just that kind of explosive, and like you're saying, it became pop culture. And it's one of those films like where I always found it interesting because it's like I've never met anybody who's like, oh, I didn't like that. There's just something that was keyed in. I mean, from the world of Diablo Cody to, I mean, that's, that was the thing that I really was interested in is uh, if you, it, what was some of your process? Like when you're looking at something and you just know it's so different. So it's not like, okay, I have a film noir. Now I can go watch a bunch of film noir or, I mean, it's like you have no reference for, for Diablo Cody's world. So how, what, what was something for as a cinematographer that you were able to really pick up from that? No, you're right. There was no reference for her world. We had a, we kind of created the Diablo Cody war, world with that movie. Um, and you know, the really the only references that we, the, I mean, at least that I can remember all these years later, we looked at a lot of photo books. We looked at, um, still photography books. Um, I remember there was a book called high school portraits of kids in high school from around, uh, the United States, a lot of Midwest. 
there was a uh, book by a photographer named Paul Jasmine uh, about uh, kind of young adults in Los Angeles. Um, stuff like that, you know, and of course we talked about things like Breakfast Club and, and you know, uh, all the kind of, you know, classic 80s um, high school movies. And not always, not just to, for uh, for the point of emulating, but I find often in conversations with directors or anybody that I'm working with uh, on a film, sometimes one of the hardest things to do is be able to start a conversation or know where to start a conversation. And sometimes you just got to start looking at things together and, and, and see how people are talking about, you know, two people can look at one thing, whether it's a photo or a movie and be seeing the same thing, but be interpreting it differently. And so by looking at um, references of things that we like and then don't like, you can start conversations and which then lead you, you know, down these like tributaries of, of other conversations that kind of just build upon each other so that you can hopefully start to figure out the best way you can communicate creatively right. and then, and then find, figure out your approach. So, you know, Jason and I, okay. we, and we told to this day, we still will, will, you know, look at imagery and movies and that we love and talk about, try to dissect the reasons we, we do love certain things and, and, and discover, you know, nuance and little tricks that directors and filmmakers use in their movies. And then we'll watch things that we, we just don't like, but then we watch it and try to figure out why don't we like this? Like what is, you know, sometimes we're like, Oh, we should like this. You know, this is a great filmmaker or this is a great cinematographer. And a lot of people like this movie, but we, it's not resonating with us. Why is that? You know, what are we not responding to? And then that maybe that thing is what we want to make a conscious note to stay away from because we have a similar, um, you know, aspect in our movie. Oh, that's really interesting. Why responding or not? Cause I, I did catch, and I want to, I can use this segue into, um, something like young adults or, uh, I've, I've always been interested as a film fan. And then also when I would, uh, I think everybody kind of has that dream, excuse me, whether they're producing or whatever they're doing. I mean, I do it with the podcast. I'm so fortunate to have film school buddies, so it's just like, you know how it is. You can say the, and they have the next word. And, uh, so I, I'm always interested how there's like, you know, Roger Deakins and the Coens and there's Robert Richardson and all of, you know, those mm-hmm. cinematographers where you'd see them do six, eight, ten films. And, you know, so I've always, I always love when somebody comes on the show that's like not on the personal side or the friendship side, but what would be something that you could share? Like that it's something that Jason Reitman does to where you're kind of just like, I call it just, you're going along for the ride. Like you pretty much know you're going to get the creativity you need and it's going to work. Like what would be something that you could share that makes you guys click so well to just kind of be able to have been working together so long? I mean, I think it's, uh, we really just, we like the same kinds of movies and we like making movies in the same sort of way. I mean, I think it's just kind of that basic. Um, we, I know that when he sends me a script or he knows when he sends me a script that he's really into, I'm, you know, pretty near hundred percent going to like it too, for a lot of the same reasons that he does. Um, and that if I'm getting a script from him, uh, there's going to be some exciting ideas 
that he knows that I can do well and that I can really dig, uh, sink my teeth into. And so it's like, it's, it's like opening a present from a, from a family member, you know, you just, you know, it's like, they know you so well, you know, you're going to get a good gift, you know, <laughs> versus oh, like, right, you know, right, a pair right. of socks from, uh, you know, so, um, it's, uh, I mean, it's as simple as that. And that's partially because we've just known each other for so long. We've both known each other since we were 15. Um, oh. and you know, we started making short films together in, in when we were uh, in our late teens and it's kind of just, you know, blossom from there, you know, commercials for many, many years before we started doing features on our own. And then, you know, uh, the first one together, which, you know, so it's been a very evolving oh, okay. relationship and then the kind of material has evolved too, you know, like, you know, you look at something like, like Juno, and then you look at something like, uh, the front runner. So different, right? So different, oh, yeah. you know, going in, you know, or before, you know, front runner, you know, looking at a movie like Tully, where he wanted to embrace uh, a lot of handheld and digital and, and very natural light, very limited lighting on set, and uh, kind of a very raw look, <clears throat> almost like almost like a, uh, a documentary. And then you go to something like The Front Runner, which is you know this kind of tribute to seventy cinema and and Robert Altman and all the kind of best politics movies. That there were. Oh, I thought I and, thought all the president's um, yeah, is what I was thinking while yeah, I watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there's there's elements and there's there's inspiration from all that stuff, and and um and then and then wanting him wanting to shoot on film, you know, for that, and that that is that's a whole it's all part of the, you know, the shift in in aesthetic, you know, from movie to movie or, or over time. Um, and then, and then, you guys, and then, you guys you know, have and then after that, okay. we shifted again into, you know, something like, uh, Ghostbusters, which, you know, is in post-production now, which is in a, another huge shift in, in aesthetic, um, in style. So it's, it's all, I know it's always going to be different and it's always going to be good. And he, he, like me, never wants to kind of repeat, uh, himself. We're always trying to be each like trying new things and, and, and finding out things about ourselves creatively that uh, we didn't know, you know, and trying out new things. Sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't knock it out of the park or I mean, quite the opposite. Sometimes we, we <laughs> fail um, and don't do as well as we do on other things, but it's still, it's still very enjoyable. And that's like, I think it's part of being an artist or a filmmaker, you know, you got to kind of figure out, your creativity and sometimes you, you know, you get to bat and you swing and you mess and, and that's fine. But it's, it's all part of like, you still, the, the, the learning you get from that is, is really as important as the successes. I really love what you said. Cause I feel like, I mean, it's such a different podcast, but I feel like there's, um, again, no presumptuous thought behind it where there's a kind of now, like if you're not succeeding, you're just automatically failing. So I kind of was thinking like, you know, you guys, uh, I, I would say the only film that I think I just had too much expectations uh, was Labor Day when I saw it. And it was just like you're saying, mm -hmm. to do something out of the box, to not repeat. Uh, and same thing with like Tully was, uh, you know, it, I don't want to spoil the ending for people, but of course, Charlize Theron is amazing in it. And I would venture to try to find a movie she's not amazing in. And uh, I can tell you this is the first time I missed seeing it because 
when I was interviewing Anastasia, I needed a back surgery, and I literally was doing the podcast on the floor of the studio and <laughs> could not stand or sit or anything. And that was, I remember my mom was like, okay, you're going to the hospital. Like, you don't need, you don't need to be interviewing someone from the floor of the studio. So I missed Tully, and I'm only telling you this because it's going to lead into a cinematography question. The second time I saw it, I was just studying a couple months later, looking at, you know, oh, wow, this is so cool. And I was thinking, gosh, how did this cinematographer keep the same exact color the whole movie? Like, oh, I wish I would have known. And I just was thinking, like, well, there's not one change in color. Well, stupid me, the TV was sent to magenta. So <laughs> the second, so when I saw Tolly, I loved the ending. I was all into it, but then I was just thinking, like, that was something I'd already been a fan of yours, not just a fan of Jason Reitman. And I just was thinking, like, man, I want to interview this guy someday, and I'm just going to ask him how he kept the same color. So then, like, two weeks later, Mom was like, hey, look at this. And I was like, oh. So I never quite got what exactly you meant to do with Tully. But I know in young adult, like, uh, I realized uh, that was another thing that was so unique to me because you were working with, this is for the audience, you know, you were working with, uh, I'm trying to see, I'm always interested in how a cinematographer can channel an emotion or a thought, whether it's, I'm not saying judging the character, but like, what do you, what do you bring creatively when you're kind of like, you know, you're just completely flawed character, not flawed actions like Juno, but just like mm -hmm. this, this character just doesn't know what they're going. So what, what do you felt, feel like you brought to young adults to the script of it and to Charlize's performance and all that? Oh, wow. Um, it's a good question. Um, I think it's point of view, you know, I think it's, you know, the point of view, a tonal point of view, uh, in, in, in terms of, you know, what is the best visual style to access this character and this character's story so that the audience can feel and, and, and get what she's going through and what the people around her are going through. And, 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 and how you do that is with, you know, the color of the lenses, where, how far away the camera is uh, from somebody in a close up. Are you shooting them a lot from the front? Are you shooting them from a profile? And, and sometimes you're doing all of that, but for different scenes, you know, and, and you're creating uh, it's, it's, it's like punctuation and, and, and grammar, right. In writing. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, it's cause it's a movie where you kind of want to just sit back a little bit and watch the performances. Um, kind of like these old black and white movies that had these really like theatrical performances, but, but we needed to, we needed to kind of, we needed to be able to get in there close to her when, when it was necessary and then kind of pull back at other times. And I think that is, that was my job on young adult was, was, you know, tonal, uh, point of view. Oh, that's interesting. Cause that's so, as I was restudying your guys' work, I was like coming across where I was like, their style is so simple. So it's not like I can be like, how did you do this crane shot? Or you had this perfect dolly thing or somebody who just managed to make, I don't, I don't want to say, Oh, uh, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson, of course, admitting that he loves Robert Altman so much, so moving the camera every 12 seconds. I never noticed mm -hmm. how much 
his camera moves until one day I was starting mm-hmm. to get like a little bit nauseated during Boogie Nights. So I'd seen this mm-hmm. interview where you and uh, Jason Reitman were talking at, I think it was Film Independent. And correct me if I'm wrong, one of you had mentioned you guys talk about cool shots uh, <laughs> yeah. and kind of like staying away from them. So is, there, is that something that you could explain for the audience? Like how you guys have that thing going where you don't want to be having any shot where it's like, oh yeah. my God, I remember so, that shot from. Yeah. <laughs> I'll explain that. Yeah. So like the idea, I think what you're talking about is that there was a time when we were talking about, you know, and I've said it other times is that if anybody comes away from one of our fame suits, oh, there's a really cool shot. I feel like I didn't, or we didn't do our job because the stuff that we do is not about cool shots. Um, like it shouldn't be that no shots down on its own. Just like, you know, nobody should be, you know, ripping a page out of a book and be like, Oh, read this page. You know, because Oh man, this page in this book. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like, no, it was a, it was a great book. Right. So if there's like a shot that's standing out, it's like, we're doing something wrong. You know, we're bringing too much attention to the filmmaker or the cinematography and it should be an ex- experience. It should all be cohesive and, and, and kind of like with the performance and, and the, and the directing and, and you know, so it just shouldn't be anything that's a flourish. That being said, okay. we, ha- we just recently had to change that mindset because like on, we've, we've, we did a movie that, requires that we we did ghostbusters and that is a movie where we had to actually think in terms of shots because it's a different kind of movie um and a different kind of experience for an audience now it's not like we completely went against you know our our you know thing about you know cool shots it's just that we had to we had to give a little bit of that up and sometimes we had to think in shots but we when we did it we had to we we tried to to still do it with story uh, in mind, you know, as opposed to like, I'm not going to mention the filmmakers, but there are people who just move the camera just for the heck of moving the camera, you know, and uh, with no purpose. And we just never want anything to be unmotivated. You know, we, if there's a Steadicam shot, it's a Steadicam shot because there's absolutely no other way to do the shot um, creatively or technically, you know, and, um, so that's 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 was the genesis of, of that comment, um, which has been uh, uh, no, repeated I re- I like by both that's, of us. Yeah, and you know, like that's, that's kind of I like mean, that's we were trying to be. You know, I think we also kind of thought we were being you kind know, of like you know, pure filmmakers, and you know, it's kind of like you know, maybe it was a little pretentious to be talking in that way, but it was it wasn't coming from a pretentious place. It was coming from a, a good place. I just sometimes I, I hear us when we talk about that and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> such idiots. Um, but uh, yeah. So like, and, and that's not necessarily a slight against other filmmakers who do it. There are some filmmakers that do that and they do it quite well. Um, it's, you know, it's a style, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's a fashion, you know, it's, it's, and they use it to great effect. It's, but there are different right. kinds of movies, you know, so, oh yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying you said it or agree or disagree, but I, I, it makes me the the style and the aesthetic of Paul Greengrass to me fit perfectly to United '93. That you know, obviously, we'd all be scared shitless, and you're on mm-hmm. edge, and 
But then it's like in the Bourne movies, again, it's like, I mean, I can't watch certain movies because I'm epileptic. So right away, I have to stay away from certain action movies. But his is like really just like, you know, I'd rather ride something at Disneyland if I'm going to throw up. Um, so I loved what you guys were saying when I saw that cool shot thing, because I uh, I was really thinking like um, up in the air. I mean, there's another one. Um, something that popped out to my mind because you guys, I had heard on the commentary years ago that you guys had shot at St. Louis Airport. Uh, that movie mm-hmm. had always been intriguing to me because it was after 9-11 and you're getting to like the, yeah. so I would love to know like how many, was that the only airport or like were you guys getting some, did you guys, like the other day I interviewed Jim Deneau and he was talking about she's out of my league and Pittsburgh Airport happened to have a terminal that just wasn't in use anymore. So they were able to go in and dress it up. So what was it like shooting in an airport and also having to bring into the fact that I know just from seeing it on the descendants, for some reason, everybody feels the need to stop. So was there like some, <laughs> uh, added, you know, I mean, it was just a funny phenomenon. I mean, I was just like, why is, I mean, okay, so it is cool. Like I get it. He's a nice guy and he's really fun to talk film with. I mean, you don't have to agree or disagree. I'm just saying it, but it was like, why are you guys stopping what you're doing at the pool? Like, enjoy the pool. Uh, so, yeah. So, is yeah. there anything that kind of like shooting in airports, yeah. or was there well, is there anything special? Yeah, I mean, we shot actually at a lot of airports. Um, St. Louis is just one of them, and St. Louis actually did have an entire sh- shutdown terminal um, there that we yeah. could use for some shots. Although we didn't use it that much, we found we gravitated towards the. Um, the slower areas of their, of the main terminal. And yes, like there were scenes where George Clooney, we would, the people would see us setting up, but they didn't know what we were shooting and they were just waiting for their flights. And all of a sudden George Clooney comes barreling out of a jetway walking down and they're just kind of like, wait, what's happening? Um, but we did shoot St. Louis Lambert. We shot, uh, Detroit. We actually started the shoot up in Detroit at the airport. First day, first couple of days we're at the Detroit, uh, uh, D was it? D F. DTW, I don't know. Yeah, right. at uh, Detroit in the brand new in the brand new uh, international terminal where we had that really famous shot of him against the 747 in the windows. Um, that was the first couple of days. Yeah, we shot there there in an open terminal, and they also had a old terminal that they were about to tear down at Detroit, which I think they tore down about a year later. That was fantastic. We used that for a. Uh, I don't remember what airport that stands in for, but there's a scene where he's saying goodbye to Vera Farmiga and we shot that um, in the old shutdown uh, terminal at Detroit. And we shot in the Miami airport. Um, We shot at Las Vegas airport. And we shot at the Omaha airport. Yeah. Uh, We were all over the place. We became pros at... um, (laughs) at uh, working with uh, TSA and the various airport police and, you know, expecting to have to work overnight. And, you know, I feel like I, after that movie, I, I, I know everything about there is shooting in airports. In fact, I actually got used to get hired for a lot of air, airline commercials because after the movie came out, they're like, oh, you know how to shoot at airports, you know how to shoot an airplane. <laughs> Um, so I did, but oh, air, cool. airplane commercials, yeah. And but it was uh, it was a really interesting experience. It's very limiting. You don't have, you can't bring as many people. You can't bring as many um, as much equipment. You can't, you know, they frequently like to make you shoot at night when it's not as busy, and um, for access to certain areas. But then 
when you're shooting at night, you can't use, you have to be very careful about bright lights that, that pilots can see because it messes up their night vision. So, you know, even if you don't have lights outside, sometimes you have lights inside, but if they're shining through the window or there's some spill coming off the lights and it, and it hits, a pilot can see it, you know, they, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, the tower, you know, the tower is calling the cops, the cops are coming up to your set and they're telling you the light bright, lights are too bright, you got to shut them off. Yeah. So, um, you know, it can be challenging, but it's fun. You know, it's like, it makes you have to shift gears and think in a separate, different way. And, um, in the production value you get from shooting in a real airport, it's just incredible. All those people in the background and the extras and, you know, the architecture and production design is great. And we, we were partnered with American Airlines on that movie. So we had access to, you know, all kinds of you know, ticketing, ticketing booths and, and people. And we even got to shoot on some of their airplanes. Um, the airplanes in the movie are actual. Most of them are, uh, I don't know, most, most, maybe half of them are sets. And then the other half are actual American Airlines planes that they would give us. And, you know, there was one plane in St. Louis where they pulled into a maintenance hangar and we shot on their plane. We lit it. We brought in our lights and we lit it. Um, so, you know, it, we, we were given a lot uh, on that movie. And, and I think that's, part of the uh, appeal of it is that it was just as it's, it's, it deals with reality in such a way, like reality in terms of the filmmaking of it. And, and, and that we shot on real planes and real airports, like we didn't have to fake it. And you really got the sense that he was traveling all around the U S cause we were, um, you know, we didn't all try to oh, do right. it in like Atlanta or something. And we actually used lots of different airports and lots of different airport hotels. You know, we didn't build any sets. And, um, and then also the reality of, you know, it was at a time when everybody was, you know, losing their jobs and out of work and there was that reality. So it was like, it really, for the people who traveled a lot, it, it, it was very close to home. And for people who were dealing with being laid off, it was really close to home. And I think it just made that movie super relatable. Oh yes. That, that laying off thing. I mean, the economic crash and, um, I mean, that really hit my family hard. I mean, we lost our family business of 22 years and it was just craziness. Um, but yeah, I, I always love when a film captures a time, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, that you're able to just say, hey, this is being captured. Um, you had mentioned Ghostbusters and something that popped in my brain was, uh, you know, that like you're like you were kind of alluding to it being, you know, the switch with some of the shots, the design. Um, I, you know, obviously I'm not going to ask and you don't have to answer about budget, but it's obviously a different budget than say Juno or young adult. Um, what, (laughs) what is it like? Uh, I'm interested in what is it like that you're getting to make a movie? And of course, when it's your friend, you can separate certain things, but when you're getting to like do a reboot, whatever it's called, they're calling it of a movie that you dug as a kid that like in Hawaii, we call our friends, dad, uncle, whether that's a, Mm-hmm. Uh, around the world or not. So you're basically like getting to part of remaking a film that maybe you're able to look at it and be like, Oh, it's Jason and uncle Ivan. But like, is there that part of you that's like, Oh my gosh, I'm being a part of ghostbusters. Like how do you use that or sometimes have to contain it? Or what, what would you say about that? Well, it's absolutely terrifying actually. Um, Cause it's not, it's not just, you know, an old movie that you watched as a kid. It's like, <laughs> one of the best movies you saw as a kid 
you know, one of the movies that made you fall in love with movies themselves as a kid, you know, one of the movies that contributed to me getting into the film business. And, uh, and it's like, you know, it's like the first time the dad can't do the keys of the, their, their sports car. They're like, here, go take it for a drive. And you're like, Oh man, I don't really want, I mean, I really want to, but God, I'm afraid of, like, you know, grinding <laughs> the gears or, or denting it, you know? And, um, right. but you're so excited and you love it so much. You just, you want to be a part of it. And it's, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's, it was, it's just amazing. And, and I don't know that I, I could have done it or felt comfortable doing it if, if, uh, you know, Jason and Ivan weren't the ones involved with it. I would have been too nervous, but I I felt it was like, I, I felt that I had the support when I did have the support. And, uh, you know, I knew Jason had been trying to avoid it his whole life, you know, his whole professional life doing another Ghostbusters. It was one of those things that was, you know, would come up every once in a while. And he would say, there's absolutely no way how we'll freeze over before I ever do anything with another Ghostbusters. Like, you know, I'm my own filmmaker, you know, that's my dad's thing. And I just don't want to. And if I did, I'd be too afraid of messing it up and it'll never, never, never happen. And then one day he called me and says, well, (laughs) hell might be freezing over. (laughs) Uh, you know, what? <laughs> like that. You know I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I have an idea for a Ghostbusters script. Am I might write. And I was like, you're kidding. That you might direct to? He's like, well, right now I just want to write it and we'll see. And I was like, you know you're not going to write something that you're, <laughs> that you're not going to direct. <laughs> He's like, no, maybe not. And I was like, come on. And, uh, and then, you know, of course, then he, he puts it, he writes and he puts everything in his heart and soul into it. And of course, he falls in love with it and has to do it. So, um, but yeah, no, it was very, uh, it was very nerve wracking. And I've, I've obviously, like I said, I've known Jason forever. And, and then I've known Ivan for, you know, a long time as well. And I, I shot a movie for Ivan called Draft Day um, with, uh, you know, oh, with, that's uh, right. Kevin okay, Coster, cool. Kevin Coster and, you know, Chadwick um, Boseman, sadly. Um, and yeah, sorry uh, for your loss, however so, well you, know, you knew him, I've, I did. I can't say I knew him well, but it was uh, it was a real pleasure to, to work with him. That was one of his uh, one of his I think it was one of his first movies, and he was just a spectacular talent. But uh, um, but so I had worked with Ivan, and and I kind of knew his um, I knew the way he liked to work, and and I. He, I felt comfortable. I mean, I was nervous, but I was nervous as hell, but I was, I was comfortable in that. I, I thought we were going to do something like this was going to be as good of an experience doing this sort of thing as I was probably, I'd probably ever get. So, um, Oh, definitely. If you're, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the best thing. Album, I mean, you I'm want, still you want Eric I mean, Clapton in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's exactly. right. It hasn't come I mean, out yet. Right. We're, and we're, and we're still right. finished. It hasn't come out yet. It was supposed to come out in July. And here we are now in, you know, beginning of September and it's not coming out until I think spring and we're doing, we're still doing post-production and I have color correction. And I, every time I see it, I'm just like, it's amazing to watch. Like I I told Jason last the other week, I said, you know, I can't believe we did this. This is just, it looks amazing. And, um, but it's still nerve wracking. Like it's not done yet. Like we still have to, like we did the kind of the part that was fun for us and, you know, put everything we had into it. And we like it, but now we still got to make sure that everybody else likes it. 
and or not so much make sure, but you know, hope that everybody likes it and that we finish it in a way that you know it resonates with people and makes them happy and makes them feel like the feelings they had when they watched the first movie. And um, you know, and I think there will be a lot of that joy. But yeah, one hundred percent. It, it's really, really, really nerve wracking. Um, you just don't. You well, don't want to. You don't want to mess. You don't want to mess it up because it's yeah. such a, like an important part of my personal history and film history. But you also don't want to disappoint other people that 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 you know the movie meant so much for. Also, you know. Well, you know, I I I was so um, I I can't remember if there was supposed to be a connection, but. Uh, with I and I'm not commenting on you know the the women female version the girl version whatever the proper word is uh, the um, like Ocean's Eight I didn't like and somebody was like oh it's because it's women I said no I hated Ocean's Twelve and like at the time like I thought Brad Pitt and George Clooney were two of the coolest guys on the planet so if I can dislike Ocean's Twelve then I can dislike anything but uh on that side note since you i cannot believe i didn't look up who made draft day because i love that movie i'd come across <laughs> it literally at like 2 in the morning like 5 years ago and i was staying at my uncle's house i always associated with him because it's how we became close and got to know each other and so i just i always think of i'm i don't know how many people do this i'm not the only one i'm sure but i always think of i associate a film with a time in my life and i always think of he loved sports so he was like what's this you're watching and why is Kevin Costner? What's the, and so he started watching with me. And what I love is, I don't know why. I sound so unprepared not knowing that was Ivan Reitman. Um, talking about cool shots, talking about, you know, from everything I saw, you didn't really, well, I guess obviously Ghostbusters is going to have effects. But draft day, I would love to know how you timed those shots, kind of not knowing what the editor was going to do or what some of that process was. I'll tell audience that... Um, they, it's not only split, split screen, like an old Hal Ashby editing trick. It's like the split, split screens will cross each other or characters will once or twice walk into the other screen and not as a, hey, look at me now. So I was floored when I saw that. And I would just love to hear how you timed that or any challenges for you as a well, cinematographer yeah, I mean, knowing that you're not editing it. Well, you know, the... the if I remember correctly, that was all, almost all phone calls with people. And those actors were actually having those phone calls. So we were actually had the actors on the phone, they're doing their lines with the other actors in that scene on separate phones in separate rooms. And so that you could then time it and split the screen and have it, have it work together to make it seem like it was in real time. So we would do things like that, you know? Um, but you were, and, but you were only watch, filming one at a time. We were only filming one at a time, or you're filming both? Okay, one at a time. Okay. No, there might have. You know what? There might have been one instance where we filmed two at a time. I could be making that up, or maybe it was spoken about, or maybe I've just done that. I know I've done that on other other shoots before, but um, I think we might have done one scene where we filmed two separate people talking on the phone at the same time. Um, but again, I could be making it up. That'd be a cool story. That's such a great film. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're in the business of making things up. Roll with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you, that the what struck out for me was I, you know, you guys are so good at drawing yourself back from. I mean, I'm 
people are people. I'm not in a celebrity. I always say I respect the hell out of talent and I'll respect where somebody has worked to get. So that scene when uh, Kevin Costner's first talking with, uh, I always pronounce it wrong, Frank Lingalia, Mangalia, uh, who you guys played Nixon. Frank Langella, okay. So is there ever a time where, like, I mean, you've worked with so many great actors, actresses, and then they obviously you don't have to comment who you've been friends with or whatever. But on just the actual shooting, I've always, I'm always interested in, do you have, like, any seconds of where if you operate or you're standing at the monitor and you can kind of just look around and be like, oh, man, this is the dude from... I loved Frost Nixon and I love Bull Durham or, and you're just like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like in a, not in an ego way, but just to like, I always wonder what it's like for the operator or the monitor. Like when you have people that are just so awesome at what they do, they were oh, just so incredible. amazing the way those two interacted. I mean, I gotta be honest, other than, you know, working on being, being able to be hired to work on a, on a script that you love being able to watch a performer do their thing. And that's just, you know, somebody that's so good is like, is my favorite part of the job, you know, sitting there and watching, you know, Charlize, um, do her thing or George, you know, do his performance. And like, George is like also a filmmaker. So he never goes back to his trailer. So he hangs out and he talks about, you know, movies and wants to hang out with the, the, the camera crew and not stay on set because he, he doesn't, he enjoys the filmmaker process more than he enjoys the acting process. Yet he's such a good actor. Uh, you know, working with Charlize is the same way. Just all these amazing characters, a strong woman she's played and then seeing her do, you know, her thing in front of you or like, you know, feeling like you're so lucky to be able to like light one of these people. Um, or, you know, yeah, Frank Langella. Frank Langella was actually my high school commencement speaker in Los Angeles. So all these years oh. later, there I am, like, shooting Frank Langella. And that was, like, really cool and thinking about all the roles that he's played. Or, um, I mean, like, any of the, any of the, uh, yeah, Ellen Burstyn, you know, or, um, you know, there's just so many amazing, talented actors that I worked with. And like you said, Kevin Costner, I mean, I remember like, remember when I was a kid loving dances with wolves and like listening to that soundtrack yeah. over and over. And I had it on Laserdisc, and I'd watch that movie over and over. Cause it was such beautiful cinematography. And he was so good. I was so mesmerized with that movie. I mean, like just like, it was so different than anything I'd seen up until that point as a kid. And then like getting there to being able to like work with Kevin Costner, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, or the, oh, this is the guy from Field of Dreams or, you know, and all these, yeah, Pearl Durham, like all these great movies. And he's also, you know, a filmmaker too. He's not just kind of like the, the George Clooney. He's not just the actor, but he's an incredible filmmaker. Um, and you're just like, yeah, you're in awe of, of the talent. And it's, it's, it's really, really, really special. I mean, it truly is one of my, uh, favorite parts of, of making movies is, is watching the performers and how they come up with these characters, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I, I was, I mean, of course I obviously never got busted, but you know, and they, I mean, PAs, they put you in some weird positions where you just happen to be able to watch performances. And I do just to the tiniest degree, remember being able to uh, watch George Clooney and just really, I mean, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if I was getting to operate or see a monitor and do, like, serious themes and more stuff. Um, but uh, that's what drew me to that question was I just remember sitting there that day just being like, oh, this is a small, pointless scene. 
but it's interesting to watch his wheels and to, of course, like, like you're saying, he's, I mean, good night and good luck, I think is so great. And Ides of March, um, and of course, uh, Kevin Costerman goes back to, I don't feel like he started it, but of course that leading into Braveheart and Mel Gibson and then Ben Affleck, so many mm-hmm. great actors that turn into directing. Um, but well, that, yeah, cause that's, and what have most of them have been nominated or won. I mean, uh, I mean, we mm-hmm. you know it's not about Oscars, but they've hit the top with it. Um, and that was all for me, like when I was in high school. So I thought it was kind of interesting to be kind of watching Ransom, but then watching Braveheart uh, and seeing like, what is what I'm just starting to tune in that there's a difference and starting to uh, pay attention to that. And we were talking about draft day. So that led me to a question uh, that I would just have to ask now during uh, COVID is, is there a specific sport that you're just gnawing at your knuckles that you're not, that's not in your life right now? <laughs> uh, no, not really. I'm not a huge sports person, to be honest. I mean, I do like to watch hockey, you know, periodically when I do feel like watching a sport, um, you know, and I'll watch, if I'm with people, I'll watch whatever's on, I'll watch basketball, I'll watch football. Uh, but I don't get into it. I don't get it. You know, I don't crave it. I don't okay. get into it. I mean, I, when I was growing up, I used to crave hockey, but, uh, not so much, but I just have too much in my life going on to, seem to be able to divert my interest into, into sports. But, um, you know, especially with those always movies and streaming shows to watch, but, um, oh, right. you know, like going back to what you were saying about the actors, you know, I guess I'm thinking, I was, I was just thinking while you were speaking about, um, you know, if I've ever really like what the most kind of like, Oh my God moment was, when I worked with kind of like a, you know, legendary actor. And I got to say one, I, one of them was, you know, Eddie Murphy for Dolomite is my name. And oh, I, <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't meet him until the day of our camera tests when he came in and stood in front of camera in one of his, his costumes. You know, we do these hair, makeup and wardrobe tests at the beginning of every movie so that we can try wardrobe and different kinds of makeup and wigs and things like that and shoot it on camera. And, you know, all the producers in the studio that are able to see kind of like what they look like and people give notes, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's just a chance to see them in character before, you know, you shoot, you see them on set. And Eddie Murphy walked in and just started, you know, he went from just being a, uh, just an actor walking in and then he would, you know, you turn on the camera and hit record and he just brings the life, you know, and, and you see just like every Eddie Murphy character you've ever seen, you know, in front of you. And it's just, it's like, it's, it was mesmerizing. It was, it was just incredible, you know? And, uh, or like when Wesley Snipes would show up and you're like, I can't believe it. was like Wesley Snipes, like one of the biggest action stars of the nineties and, uh, early two thousands. And it's here, you know, doing this with Eddie. And that's kind of like one of those moments where you were talking about, you're like, Oh my God, like, what is, where am I? Like, what am I doing? This is so cool. Um, all right. Such talent. It's people, Sydney from My Man Can't Jump. <laughs> yeah, you know, like an oh, old yeah, no, you know? <laughs> Oh, totally. Well, I mean, Dolomite, the production design was, uh, I had mentioned before you came on that I was such a fool where I wasn't catching that it was about the making of Dolomite and I was just too busy laughing. And, uh, but that, you know, the production design of that was so amazing. And I had commented before you came on air about, uh, I'd love to know what it was like working with Craig Brewer, 
because I am such a hustle and flow nut. I cannot watch that <laughs> movie enough times. So, so was yeah, uh, is there anything you could share with us about that? Uh, I mean, all I can say is that Craig is one of the nicest human beings I've ever uh, met or worked with. Lovely guy, super collaborative. I mean, just I, I he's got to be one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. And that's all I can really say. It's just, he's, he's, he's just lovely, collaborative, listens, asks questions, inspires you to give a hundred percent, pushes you to give you a hundred percent or more. Um, you know, wants I, everybody's ideas, you know, loves to collaborate, you know, knows that, you know, the best idea might come from, you know, the last place you expect it. Um, just wonderful, oh, okay. very malleable, like very open to, you know, trying something new on set. If it's, even if it's different than what you'd planned, if it's, if it's something that's going to be better or inspired by, you know, circumstance or what you're seeing the actors do or what you're, you know, just something like an idea popped in your head while you were there on set wants to hear it, you know, great guy. Oh, that's it was, fantastic. It was such a fun experience to shoot that with him. Oh yeah, that I that movie. I was just thinking. I was like, oh, I don't even need to uh, ask how much fun <laughs> that movie must have been. I when I watched it the second and third time, and was just yeah, knew such some a of film the jokes nerd. coming loves up. Loves talking about loves talking about independent films. Loves talking about his VHS movies and being poor and being a film nerd and and in all these kind of like obscure you know movies that he he's seen and loves. Um, and just get so excited about talking about movies too. Very contagious. It's it's really oh. fun to be around that kind of energy. You know, and oh, it makes no, me happy awesome. that somebody I, like that has 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 get, been able to fulfill their dream. Because you you know you you meet people and go, oh, God, they really deserve it. Like he deserves it. Oh, that's a that's a great compliment that you're giving him. That that I mean, I'm I'm such a fan of his work, and I don't know why I don't know more than those two films. I should. Um, I think uh, when I saw Hustle and Flow, and then to see this, we won't get won't get into. We don't have to comment on. You know, I was I, I can't even say it, and you don't have to comment in any way. But I'm just saying as the host, I loved that there wasn't anything brought up about one culture making a film about such a cultural touchstone of another, and that's what mm-hmm. I liked the most about uh, the humanity in Dolomite. Was that there? I didn't come across yeah. this. You know, Craig Brewer's not from Oakland or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, I just love what you guys did. I mean, that was just so um, awesome. Let's see. We have a couple of questions that we ask every guest before we wrap up, if you're up for a few more questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's see. I would love to know. Uh, actually, this is a new one that I just came up with. I would love to know if there's the handful of films that. Uh, uh, VHS, it's one of the reasons I didn't go into Blu-ray was because I ste- stepped back and went, wait a minute, my VHS, my DVD are the same as what my Laserdisc was, and so why do I want to rebuy every Blu-ray and then keep everything in my laptop that I just... So are there those four or five films, I call them like, if your house is on fire, you'd grab those. Obviously, everyone's safe, but like, you're going to make sure you always have these films on in some format on your shelf. Oh yeah. Um, and in fact, like there are films that I have on, you know, 
Laserdisc, DVD, and Blu-ray. And if a new version comes out, I usually get it if it's been restored or 4K or new special features or whatever. Um, Empire of the Sun, Steven Spielberg movie from the 80s, and oh, the Laserdisc for the longest time was the only way you could find. They made it a uh, documentary, kind of like the uh, Heart's Darkness they made about Apocalypse Now, but there was a, a small yes. like documentary film made about the making of Empire of the Sun that uh, I believe John Toll was the cinematographer on the making of... <laughs> Uh, of it oh, the sun, so but it's called the China China Odyssey, and the only way you could see it because I loved that film, and the only way you could see it was on a laser disc. So I had, there are two different versions of lasers. I even worked at a laser disc store when I was younger, and uh, so I had access to you know just everything. And um, and then and I have that on every format. I'd say like Doctor Strange loves. Uh, I have on every format of a Citizen Kane, um, Godfather, you know trilogy. Uh, Blade Runner, I have on everything. Jaws. Um, God, what else? What else would I have on, uh, so on sounds, everything? So well, I think I have like Lawrence Arabia it sounds like, on everything. Oh, I got to see that on the big screen in Austin. And there was film school kids in front of us in the balcony leaving. And I heard overheard them saying, just tell me how it ends. This movie's way too long. <laughs> and I just was thinking with no presumption, I was just like, these film school guys have no idea how lucky they are to be seeing it for the first time in a balcony, in an old movie theater with an intermission and an organ. So yeah, story for that time. But uh, I yeah, like that. That's no, such no, a nice I, draw I there. Like, uh, I mean, and listen, there's, I would say, I mean, I, and I still have all my laser discs. Like, I can't see, I don't watch them. I have you know, I frankly don't have a TV that, uh, you know, without a lot of cables and converters that I could watch them on, but like, I can't give them up because that was my education, you know, with laserdisc. I didn't go to film school. And so I just, you know, right. would buy every, every book on filmmaking and cinematography I could find. And then I would watch, like when I worked at the laserdisc store, I, one of the reasons I worked there is because I could, I have access to all these movies so I can, you know, there's no streaming. And the only way I could watch widescreen movies in their original aspect ratio is Laserdisc. So I worked in a Laserdisc store and I listened to every time I'd watch it twice. I'd watch the movie and then I'd watch, listen to the commentary. You know, like the Criterion Edition, you know, started with Laserdisc and, and that was, um, that was my film school, you know. So I feel like I'd have to grab all my boxes of Laserdiscs um, if there was a fire because they're very precious to me, you know. And it's not even that many. It's maybe like I love or something. But they right. all served a purpose, you know, and, and, you know, there are many more I watched that were equally as important as the ones I, I bought. And sometimes the ones I bought only bought them, not because necessarily I was so in love with the movie, but it was probably just because it was probably more laser just I wanted to buy that I just couldn't afford to, um, oh, right. <laughs> you know. I remember friends saying, yeah, I got a weird collection of lasers. I'm like, hey, man, this is what I can afford. Like, not just because I love, like, if I could, you know, some of those other movies I love were cheap enough, I'd buy those too. These just happen to be, you know, what was on sale for $5 or whatever. Um, or like I'd save up, I remember I saved up like $60 once to buy the uh, the Aliens uh, box set, director's cut on Laserdisc. It was a big deal when it came out. And it was a certain kind of, you know, quality where you had to flip the, flip the disc more often because it used up like, like the record, uh, you know, vinyls that, you know, they could only fit three or four oh, right. on the side because it was a higher, higher quality. They did that with laser discs. So I remember like the aliens, it was like six discs or something, two, two sides, and you kept having to flip it. And there's all, you know, the scenes, which you'd never been able to see before 
on any other format until it came out on Laserdisc. And you realize there's all these scenes they shot in Aliens, uh, James Cameron Aliens, that you never even knew about. And it was just so cool. Ah, and, um, you know, like I, I really was into all my Laserdiscs. And, and, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely films. And, you know, I just keep rebuying. Sometimes I just rebuy because, and there's movies that I probably bought that I have on every format. And now I bought the digital version, you know, so I can just have oh, it okay. with me when I'm traveling on my iPad or something, I have access to it. Um, you know, well, I'm just starting good. to get converted. That's really, again. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's really, I, I like what you're saying. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm born in 79. So I'm just, for some reason, like has laser, laser just to me seemed like it came and went, but a friend of mine gave me his collection. And so the only lasers I ever owned were like Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, a couple of others, but I'm the same thing. Like when I was really looking at like my 50 or 60 VHS, they were all just piled on top of each other. It was like Grapes of Wrath, Citizen K and Bridge on the River Kwai, and then newer stuff like Moneyball, actually Juno up in the air, uh, you know, in four of Reitman's films. And then it was just like all the stuff. And then I was talking with my friends. I was like, you guys missed VHS and DVD. And they're like, they're two years younger than me. They're like, why? Yeah. It takes up so much space. And I'm just like, I don't know. Cause carrying a laptop around, I do all the time. So it's fun to yeah. go to the library. Like, um, it's cool to look at the back who made it special features. So yeah, yeah there's so, artwork. And, um, yeah. Oh, totally. It's a, it's an actual package. I'm like, it wasn't put there just so we have a file in our computer. I don't actually own anything in my computer, but I rent the hell out of stuff. Like I, you know, I think I've bought Jeff Bezos, one of his cars lately. Um, <laughs> let's see the last, <laughs> the last two questions are just quick ones. Um, do you have a genre, uh, that before you, you know, let's just metaphorically say you had to retire. Uh, you would love to do this genre to say you have this on your filmography yeah i'd love to do a horror movie i think that'd be fun i don't watch horror now, movies uh, really. lady, i mean i watch them with my kids sometimes okay. but i would love to do one okay are you are would you lean more towards like freddie and jason or scream kind of more open or more like saw or no i think more like a classic classic slasher you know Freddie, Jason, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street okay. type thing. The kind of things that I grew up with that terrified me when I was, you know, uh, you know, in middle school. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. something that doesn't Freddy, make it so seriously. <laughs> yeah. I still have to, I still cannot, I, it's so funny, I'm, I'm 41, and to make sure the sun's still up if Freddie's on the TV. <laughs> it's so just crazy. I don't think that ever, I don't know. Okay, so then the last question would be, uh, you know, broke days, lights are off. You haven't eaten for two weeks, but no matter what, you would not do this genre. Um, you know, I, there there isn't one because right there's there's interesting stories in every genre. I mean, and I think it would be unfair to say there's no way I wouldn't do it. I mean, I love. I, there's all kinds of stories. I mean, there's there's. Um. I mean, I'm becoming less interested in romantic comedies as I, as I go on because I've done those, you know, and I just don't watch them. And I, I just feel like there isn't anybody investing energy into doing those in a new and interesting way. You know, I feel like those right. were exploited for, you know, probably 20 years 
and some of the best ones ever made were, you know, done in that period. And it's almost like they're just kind of given up on it because maybe there's not a market or people aren't interested or they won't want to watch it. But so it's become a little disinteresting to me. Um, right. But I don't think there's anything I would say, no, I will never do that. Because it's just, you know, I mean, that's interesting. That's, I think it's kind of ridiculous for somebody to say, um, cause you don't know what you don't know. You know, you just got to wait for the, the right script. I mean, there's, there's a, literally, quite literally like a million amazing writers out there. And it's just a matter of somebody taking the time to come up with a good story in a particular genre, um, that I happen to read or that would get offered to me that is, you know, then I would do it. Or there's an interesting actor or like the open director in the genre. But you got to be open-minded. I mean, I, I don't know how you can be like a, a, an artist or a storyteller and then be so closed off to, to ideas. I mean, you can certainly well, uh, have directions that you prefer, but, but I think being closed, closed off is kind of the antithesis of the creative process. I don't know. Well, I do think, so I guess for you, it would more so fall into, I guess, story. Cause I have like, I've had a, the last couple of guests and stuff that have said stuff like, uh, a dot, like something that promotes, you don't have to respond, but something that promotes the current president or something that, you know, is, uh, exploiting like some of those shows that exploit like tragedy, like those, those Netflix docs that you watch late at night, if you're bored that are like, yeah, I mean, there's subject matter I, I, I will stay away from that's, and I find that's a little bit different than genre for me. Like I won't, I won't do a movie that is, has any violence with children. I just, I won't do it. Um, I'm not interested. I'm a parent and I just, I'm not, I'm not interested. I can't, I can't watch it. I can't read it. Um, I'm just far too sensitive and disinterested in, in showing any kind of violence um, or abuse towards to children or young people. Um, but, uh, you know, and sometimes there are stories that that is a, it's not about that, but that's, it's, it's part of the story, even if it's maybe a, a movie about something that really happened and it's a powerful story and it's hard to, to pass on that, you know, but you just got to stick to what you believe and what you, what you can, you know, stomach oh okay. you know? yeah, yeah i mean i mean i don't know i mean there's probably other subject there's other subject matter probably that i would uh avoid you know but um i know a, a, a blanket statement about it is is uh, other than like violence towards children is i don't that would be that would be a hard one for me to um to uh, come up with huh well, I, yeah, that's what I love about the most of the cinematographers that I've interviewed. You guys have that just, I love interviewing you guys because you just have that open where it's just kind of like it would be story, not the other guests. The other people will say, uh, I don't like noir or I couldn't do this kind of thing or, but I just love how 90% of the time I, I always love asking you guys because it's just like it would be a story or a thing and not being closed off to trying, like you said, said genre. So I really like that answer. Right. So uh, with 
with that, we, we're going to come to a close here, and we just want to thank you again for your time and then also uh, your contribution to uh, cinema and the art form that we all love. It's, uh, you know, Juno used to be a movie that I would watch when I was like going through a breakup after seven years and had been in that really bad car wreck and was literally just like needed to laugh and needed to smile. So I would just throw that on like once a month or twice a month, like for two years. So, um, it's just been a pleasure to hear your process and what you've done. And so I sincerely thank you for what you've uh, given to our entertainment or our, you know, weeping at two in the morning life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's not the whole reason we do it, it, it but it, 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 it reinforces the reasons we do it. Um, at least myself, it's really great to hear. And, you know, you don't get to hear that about every movie or every project that you do, but it's, it's, it's lovely. And it only takes one person to make a comment like that, to make it feel like, um, you know, that it's, uh, that you did a good job and, and, um, you know, I'm glad it, at least in the case of Juno, it, uh, resonated with you. It's, um, I'm glad that everybody can, can, um, take something different from, from movies and, and use them to, to get through things. I have an, I have a friend who met his, <clears throat> his, uh, wife at a, in line for a screening of uh, 500 days of summer <laughs> and then they got married. Oh, so, cool. uh, it's, you know, these little stories <laughs> that people tell. Yeah, I know. It's kind of amazing. So these p- stories that people tell, it, it's, it's really, it was really sweet and it's really special and it just becomes the icing on the cake. Uh, there's a movie to meet your wife before. That's great. I love it. <laughs> that is a great story for your kids. I love that. I was so into that movie. And, you know, again, we're so thankful. I mean, I had that, you know, I loved the front runner and uh, I'd, I'd seen it two or three times and it was just great to go through. So, um, yeah, we're, of course, you know, we can never get through everything, but we appreciate everything that you were able to share. And we wish Ghostbusters the best. And, of course, uh, you and all of yours, we wish you uh, peace and safety during these trying times. Yeah, thank you very much. You too. It was uh, lovely chatting with you. All right. Take care. Aloha. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. Well, that was Eric Spielberg, and we're going to wrap it up. You know my motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Heck, watch Juno. Watch Up in the Air. Watch Draft Day. Check it out. They're all there. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, real conversation and movie-induced inspiration. Thank you.